I had an old roll of glass that I was just... An old roll? Yeah, just recording for your witness. Uh, so okay. we can hold it against you. Oh, yeah. No, that's all right. I, I, I have a very large fee <laughs> for taping my uh, testimony. It's copyrighted. It's copyrighted. It's very much copyrighted. Um, good evening, everybody. How, come on, a little bit more enthusiasm, please. Um, <coughs> excuse me, I'm, I'm a tad un unprepared this evening, and the reason why I'm unprepared this evening is because I've been in bed for a few days with this dreaded flu, and I wasn't going to come. But I had um, a wrestle with the Lord over it, and my wife, <laughs> who, um, who announced to me yesterday that I'd made a commitment and that, um, you know, I should come, even with my thorn in my flesh, so to, so to speak. So I'm here. Uh, originally, Frank asked me to come and sing a couple of songs for you. Um, and uh, I'm sounding a bit like Kermit the Frog, so if I do sing anything at all, uh, it will be reluctantly, and I hope you have patience with me, please. <coughs> and please excuse that coughing, which will be a very large part of this. Um... Pastor Frank made a mistake. Okay, I know you, it's hard for you people to grasp and believe that, but Pastor Frank actually made a mistake. And that mistake was that he asked me to come and share my testimony in 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's delusional. I mean, it's, uh, after spending about an hour with me over dinner one night, he realised that it was probably a tall ass because I think I talk as much as he does. I mean, more than he does. So, <laughs> okay. So what I'm going to do is uh, I, I normally, uh, my public appearances nowadays, if you like, are, are spent behind the pulpit and I preach the gospel, and I use my testimony uh, occasionally. It's uh, rather long and involved, so what I'm doing is I'm going to wing it by condensing it right down into a format that suits the evening, time-wise and content-wise. So please bear with me. It's quite a, a rough little ride, but um, I hope it's a blessing to those of you who know the Lord, and I certainly hope that it makes a difference to those of you in the room who don't know the Lord as their personal Lord and Saviour, and there is a difference. I have a tag. My tag is the singing cobbler. I don't know if any of you have heard that. It was a very highly publicised and promoted um, thing in the media for quite a few for a few years. Starting from the year 2002, I'm coming forward, and then I'm going back. So bear with me. In 2000, 2000, 2001, my dream to be an internationally acclaimed opera singer or classical singer came to fruition. I was discovered in my shop cobbler's shop. No, that's fine, thank you. Yeah. And uh, I was literally taken to the stars. Um, within 12 months of having my shop closed down, I was signed to a global record co recording contract with Sony Music International. And uh, 12 months virtually to the day of my shop being closed, and within that period of time learning uh, deportment classes and learning Italian and different things. Uh, um, or at least how to pronounce and understand Italian, I was uh, given the task to present myself suitable for promotion. Twelve months to the day from being discovered, I had an album that I re recorded um, that was released and debuted at number one on the classical charts internationally. Twelve months after that, I had another album released and that went up to join my first album. So I had one and two... And I'm, this isn't by, by a mode or form of bragging. This is just I'm filling in the, uh, some of the extremes here. It was extreme. So I was numbers one and two on the international classical charts. Pavarotti was three. Uh, Bocelli was four, that type of thing. 
During the next five years, I had accomplished everything that anyone would ever want to accomplish. I had dinner with Pavarotti, I met with Carreras, I sang with Marina Pryor at Carols by Candlelight in Melbourne, sat in the footy final, the tennis final, every newspaper, magazine, you name it, it was over the top. Um, hundreds of aeroplane flights, hundreds of motel rooms, hundreds of interviews, photo shoots, um, walking red carpets, uh, current affair today, tonight, all of the uh, things that go with it. I was very, it was very, uh, it became very um, clear to me very early on that um, my dream, my desire to become a classical or an international singer was not really what I wanted. I think the dream that I had was really, could really have been described more aptly as a desire to sing and be heard. But the fame thing ain't what it's cracked up to be. And I don't know if any of you spend any time watching any of the television nowadays, but uh, it's all just lies. It's all gloss, it's all rubbish, and it's all based on superficiality, ego and pride. It's the devil's world. And I, I, I learnt very, very quickly. After selling, I don't know, maybe a million albums <coughs> and having um, lots of things happen to me, I fell into a very, very deep state of depression and alcoholism. During that period of, uh, of alcoholism, um, I became a creature that most of you people wouldn't have even stood in the same room for five minutes with without forming a very, um, an ugly opinion of me. My, uh, my personality was so twisted um, that I was probably almost, you could class me as being devil incarnate. My language, my attitude and everything, my sexuality was depraved. And it came from me disliking myself and disliking the world and what I'd become. During the process of this self-degradation, I was consuming five litres of port a day, two bottles of red for lunch and about six JD mixes for breakfast every day. I was 132 kilos and on my seventh suicide attempt, um, which I nearly succeeded in, I was hauled out of the, uh, the ocean, um, placed in a mental ward for a couple of weeks, and then uh, told promptly when I'd left that I had about six months to live because my liver and kidney were failing. I'd left the music industry by then. I'd walked away from a very successful career. They were building a movie on my life story. I'd just finished the first season of a play written on my life story that I acted in with Kerry Armstrong at Her Majesty's Theatre. At that point, I walked away, just prior to leaving to America to go on Oprah Winfrey and David Letterman and that type of thing. But moving forward to the point where I, uh, the suicide attempt, I was, um, I was a dead man walking. And the doctor said, Peter, you don't have to worry anymore about um, trying to commit suicide or anything like that because you've got six months to live. Your liver's dead, your kidney's dead, your thyroid's gone, and your, um, your uh, cholesterol's eight. So they're all extremes, okay? This is an extreme testimony. Um, but it's all real, and it's all documented. Um, and uh, it's, a lot of it was documented. The, the part I've just told you was documented largely, or a large portion of it, in my second Australian story on the ABC. Um, I'm going to now go backwards to what the, 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 cover the coverage or the, the content of my first Australian story which was released upon my entering into um, the world of fame. It was based on my life prior to that. I came to Australia when I was five. <coughs> we travelled around Australia. This is a very abbreviated version of my testimony. At a very, very young age, my sister and I were abducted and sexually molested. That's the most, the mildest way I can put it. Um, for I don't know how, how long it was. My mind doesn't seem to want to recall the exact uh, length of time, the details are still there. 
Um, we ended up in a caravan park in Darwin uh, that was about seven years old and at about nine years old I was introduced to a voice and that voice was that of Mario Lanza and um, my, my dreams became colour from that day on. Albeit, I still had nightmares and dreams of the past. My parents kept moving like nomads around this country throughout the course of which I was uh, also involved in another rape and abduction and then um, at the age of 14 I was abducted again and uh, by an international porn, porn pornographic thing. So basically, that's a summary of the, the, some of the nasty things that we went through as a child. I've seen lots and lots of things that I won't go into now, um, which would uh, make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. I had a very full life, living in over 179 houses and caravans. I went to 37 schools to reach grade four, and I was pulled out to work at a very young age. Um, they're, uh, they're all extremes. Um, and I could uh, bore you with details, but I'm not here to do that. This is Christmas. I just wanted to give you an idea of where a person can come from, where they can think they are, and then where they can dive back into. So I've given you a picture of my latter few years prior to meeting my wife. I've given you a picture of the first part of my life. Around about the middle, in 1980... Something happened to me. I'm just going to read a couple of verses out of this and then I'll explain. <clears throat> Matthew uh, chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. <coughs> Show of hands, how many people in this room came to know Jesus as their saviour late in life or in their teens? Or uh, Let's say how many people weren't Christians when they or grew up, didn't grow up in a Christian family. How many? Okay, so quite a few. Okay. Um, of those of those people that just put their hands up, I'm sure they can attest, and I'm not leaving the rest of you out for any other reason, other than the fact that I know that to be brought up in a Christian family, you had a pretty good start. Um, and uh, even though it's not necessarily an easy road, I'm not, I'm not, giving, I'm not saying that, those that came to the Lord um, usually came through some form of um, uh, upheaval. Something happened in their life somewhere along the line. Everyone's got a story. But I'm sure that those of you put your hand up, some of you can attest to the fact that one of the things that happens is the question how and why. What is all of this about? If I could shake the living life out of everybody out there in the street that doesn't know the Lord and say to them and plead with them, implore with them to give me some kind of an explanation, to focus on the one thing that should be in the mind of everybody and that is how did I get here and why am I here? And just get them to read. And that happened to me. One night in 1980, I was walking. I was actually drinking and I was um, doing a little bit of uh, illegal substance and stuff. I had a five-year... She was at two, uh, 12 months old at the time because my first wife had left me and with a child. And I, was brought, I brought my child up for the first five years on my own with the help of my parents. But I was drinking and my parents were watching me. Um, I was never really stable. Um, this was... The point in my life where the questions started to ring loud and clear in my head. And I thank God that he allowed me to live long enough for this question to be entertained and then supplied me with an answer. 
Um, I laugh when I, when I hear evolutionism, evolutionists and, and this garbage and, and these sawn-off ideas that people come up with. Um, I, I, I implore them to deep, deep, dig deeply into their reasoning and try and get some kind of substantial answer to back that garbage up. I stood outside and I looked up into the sky and I started to suffocate. I looked up in this vastness and I thought, what is this? I, I was a little bit inebriated, but it was right into the core of me. How can this be? Think about it for a second. How can it be? From a non-Christian perspective, how, how can it be? How can anything be? Where did it come from? There has to be a beginning to our knowledge of everything. There has to be a start for everything made. There has to be a maker. What is this? And my logic and my human brain started to wind up and I started to panic. And I was hyperventilating, man. I'm standing there thinking, this is ridiculous. I'm not stupid. I may be highly uneducated scholastically, but I'm not an idiot. There has to be something that started this, Right? Am I the only one in here that thinks that? I was going, wow, I was going mental. So I started actually hyperventilating and I started panicking. This panic set in, right? I got to the very edge of my life. I got to the point where I was falling off an emotional cliff. I started running through the streets. And as I ran through the streets and I felt like I was passing out and I was breathing deeper and I was starting to go, I thought I was going mad. I looked up in the star in the sky and right up in front of me was the biggest star I'd ever seen. I haven't seen one that big. I wasn't drinking that much, but there was a star in front of me. Okay? I identified with this passage. Okay? Because I found about the Lord Jesus too that night. I didn't know I found the Lord Jesus, but I found an answer. Because years before, I had run away from home with my brother. I was the driver. And with his 15-year-old girlfriend, who had left her home from a Dutch Free Reformed church... Their family eventually caught up with us and took the girl back. But while I was living with my brother and her in Picker's Huts in Shepparton, while we were waiting for the season to start, she would read the Bible in the room in the back. And I only caught little bits and pieces of it. It was all boring garbage to me. But you know what came into my head that night when I was running down the street? I stopped dead in my tracks and this big star just gazed at me and I stopped and I looked up and I heard the voice... Say these words, I am that I am. The seed was planted those years before and it was tucked away inside of me and all of a sudden I realised, who am I? He is. He is. I don't have to have any other answer than that. I have a tangible answer from an intellectual source that tells me that he just is. That's got to be more than anything else you can gather, right? You can come up with your philosophies and your religions and you can believe in the Pope or you can believe in um, Islam or whatever you come up with. I don't care what it is. Nothing. There is nothing in this world that has an answer that is as complete and scientifically proven and balanced as the Holy Word of God. And I challenge anyone in this room tonight that doesn't know the Lord Jesus as their personal Lord and Saviour, I'm talking about an appendage or a bracelet or a name that you want to float around because it makes you feel good. I'm talking about the redemption that comes through the blood that was spilt on the cross at Calvary. If you don't know what that is, it's all in here. And it's as real as I'm standing in front of you. It, it, it was an amazing thing. It happened to me. It hit me right in the head. I ran to my parents and I was running. I started running faster and I got to the... My mum and dad were atheists. 
I ran and they were drinkers and they were smokers. And I ran into the room and I said, Mom, Dad, Mom. And Dad goes, what? Son, what? Mom goes, what? You know, and I said, there's a God. And Dad goes, I can't repeat what he said. But it was along the lines of, what? You're joking. And my mum went, really? It was, it was that extreme. My, my delivery to them was so extreme that their atheism all of a sudden took a back seat while they questioned my, my enthusiasm. And I said, Mum and Dad, there's a God. I said, Dad, you know there's a God. You're an atheist. What's an atheist? You know there's a God, there's a creator. And he goes... I guess, I guess I really do. I went down the street the next day. I met an old man in the street next to this building that said Baptist Church. And I said, can you help me? And he said, yes, I can, if, if it's possible. And I said, I want to know about God. And he stood there and he cried. Tears came down his face. And he introduced me to Jesus and my whole family. And we walked up to the middle of the church. Now, that's my testimony, but there's an important capacity here, and, and this, is, this is where it gets difficult for me, okay, because I'm not here to preach to you tonight. If there are any people in this room that haven't ex- experienced um, the love of Jesus Christ and the Saviour, the, the, that, that amazing connection with your Creator, right, then I implore you to find somebody in this room that can help you with it, because it's a magnificent life, okay? If there is anybody and all the rest of you people that have in this room, this is where my testimony is for you, okay? My testimony is here tonight designed to tell you to watch your back because Satan is like a roaring lion. He's prowling around and he wants to eat you up. Even the Lord Jesus told Peter, he said he wants you. I've been praying for you. That's how powerful Satan is down here. Even Jesus had to pray for Peter. In his humanity, he prayed for him. In his divinity, he won the battle. Yeah, but wow, scary stuff. Four years after I'd found Jesus, and I was all, you know, I'm right now, the devil got me. You know how he got me? He appealed to the flesh. I was insecure, man. I was brought up in the back of a station wagon and all of a sudden I was offered one of the things I wanted, which was to be a star. So I started rock and roll singing. I started the cigarettes. I started drinking again. It's all right, Lord, you know, one here won't hurt and one here won't hurt. You take your eyes off Jesus and, the, and Satan's with a little hook around you. You can't lose your salvation. I'm completely and absolutely confident about that, okay? I do doubt whether or not I actually accepted him as my saviour sometimes way back then because of what happened to me in the next 25 years. Because in the period from when I was discovered and made famous, between that period and when I found what I thought I found Jesus back then, in that, that I'll say that I, I did find him because you know I've been praying about that and I, I think it was a genuine, genuine conversion. But why did I fall from grace? 25 years of rock and roll and screaming in rock and roll bands and the drugs and the alcohol and the debauchery. It was unbelievable. I finished that 25 years of not walking with the Lord, of turning my back on him. How gracious is God? Because he then gave me one of my dreams to be able to sing classically. And that's where I started this message tonight. So I got from bad to worse. All of a sudden I was thrown out into the, as, as this animal in the world that was just being consumed by Satan. He, the Satan wasn't finished with me. He wanted to just drum it in. I'm going to give you your fame. And he gave it to me, all right? The Lord allowed him to do it. But isn't God great? Because you know what? He had the patience to wait for me. You can call me a prodigal if you like. You can call me an idiot. You can call me whatever you like. But the Lord waited for me. And six years ago, I turned around 
and I met this woman sitting at the end of the table over here. Her name is Viviana. Viviana had come out of a relationship where she was beat up for 20 years by a drunk. Why would she be interested in a fat man that drank five litres of port a day? Tell me that there's no God intervention in that because we met our eyes locked. We spent the first hour together over coffee trying to tell each other hate stories so that we could destroy each other's um, opinion of one another. But it didn't work because you know why? Because the Lord has plans. God sovereign and he knew exactly what he wanted and he just brought us together. That was six years ago. In that period of time, I've been studying theology. I gave up the alcohol two years after I met Viv. I gave up being an alcoholic one year after. I drank a little beer for the next 12 months. After I gave, uh, I was also giving up 800 milligrams of lithium a day, five other antidepressant pills, I can't remember exactly, 100 Valium and Panadine four a week, along with all the alcohol. It all went. 57 kilos fell off my body. Within two years, I was a new man. Tell me God's not real. Tell me one person you know that could go through those extremes, walk out the other side. I never made a cent virtually while I was in that world. You know why? Because the Lord made sure that I signed a contract that I didn't read. Sony Music kept the money. I was broke. I was living in a caravan. I was depressed. That's one of the things that made this thing all the worst. All the worst. But the summary of what I'm telling you tonight, and I know it went a little over 15 minutes, but it's really hard to compact this. The summary of what I'm saying tonight to you is that through the last five years, or six years, but mainly five years of me studying between three to ten hours a day, and it's hard for me because I only went to school to eat my lunch, right? For me to actually stand up here today and be preaching to you succinctly and clearly with a clear mind and a healthy body, albeit there's a bit of flu hanging around and a bit of croakiness, right? is a testament to that, to me and to you guys, that God is. That Jesus Christ is. Okay? There is no in-between and there is nothing you can do to prove to me that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is not God incarnate that came to die for you. And no amount of religion, no amount of orthodoxness with regards to um, ritualistic stuff, um, uh, sacrificial stuff, no, no ornaments, no crosses, no nothing's going to help you. You might fill in a few blanks for I'll make you feel all good and pat yourself on the back because now you're sort of you know going on, but it's not going to help you. Only the blood of Jesus can help you. So I implore you, people tonight, those of you who don't know the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior, I implore you to look into it. And if you don't know how, or you're one of those people that's sitting there thinking, you know what, I don't care, I'm religious. Listen to me. Do one thing for me. Find a quiet place, some stage in the next few days. Sit down in the dark, in the light, with the sandwich in your hand. I don't care. And say, God, you who are Lord, the creator, whatever your name is, show me. Open my eyes. I challenge you to do that. Because I believe that the Lord doesn't want any to perish and that he wants all to come to repentance. And if that's the truth, and if the Lord is seeking you and searching you, right, we don't find the Lord. The Lord finds us. And when he does that, be ready, but open up the door of your heart to him. Open yourselves up. Don't fight him. Don't fight him with all the superfluous garbage. He's real. He made you. He loves you and he wants you back. And that star and those wise men and all of these little stories at the start of Matthew and Mark and Luke, Matthew and Luke mainly, about what happened about in that, that manger. And, you know, it's been glorified and pumped up and trumped up to be these, these little stories we hear. Read the account in the Bible 
Find somebody that can help you through it, explain certain things to you. That occasion was the most important thing you will ever read about in your whole life. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in flesh down to this earth and the story in the Gospels of what he did for you. What an amazing thing, man. What an amazing thing. One of the amazing things to finish that he gave me, apart from the right to be able to stand up here, I have no right other than God's um, tick of approval, okay? I have no claim to anything. It's by God's grace that I'm saved through faith, not of works. I won't boast. One, one of the things he gave me, apart from my beautiful wife who's held my hand through six years now, of, uh, and it's been pretty hard, hasn't it? All easy, don't worry. It's, it's, it's not easy, even with the Lord doesn't put you up and sit you up and pad you up on the cushions and say, there, I'll do everything for you. It's still, you've still got to walk. Okay, it's, and it's not easy, right? You heard the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Don't turn your eyes off him, okay? Don't even turn your eyes off him for a second because if you do that, enemy mongrels out there and he'll grab you, okay? No, I know, even the angels durst not rail against Satan and sometimes I cringe when I do myself. But I tell you what... I can't stand that Satan, okay? He drives me insane. But the more I say that, the more I realise I've got to keep my focus on Jesus because he's got my back. He's got my back today, the same as he had my back for the last I don't know how many years, okay? But one of the things he gave me was he allowed me to have my voice back. Through surgery, through all these different things, through strain, through the pressure and the weight loss and gain, he gave me my voice. But do you know what happened to me? I lost my desire to sing. One of the reasons why I lost, and I'm finishing up now, guys, one of the reasons why I lost my desire to sing <coughs> was because it was almost impossible for me to split the fine line between confidence and ego. Okay? Now, when I sing, and you probably won't even get anywhere remotely near what it's, what it's all about for a tenor to sing, you know, when I sing, you will know what I'm talking about with regards to what happens to a person when they hear it. And it's an instant attraction to people. It doesn't matter even if you don't like classical music. And I find that really hard to deal with nowadays. I found it hard to deal with inside of me. The seed was one of the reasons why I feel I was saved back then. Because when I was on the opera house floor, the first concert I had, debut concert, full house, orchestra behind me, and they turned the lights up a little and I saw the first four rows and the first four rows of people were crying. They had tears running down their face because I was on stage. Idolatry. And I knew that, and that was the starting point of my depression, because I really believed that the seed was planted inside of me. Okay? And it's hard for me. So when I sit, I know the Lord gave me my voice back, why? I wanted to be a preacher. I wanted to be a preacher way back then when I was told by a legalistic person that I would never be a preacher because I'd been divorced and all this sort of stuff. One of the reasons why I fell off my go-go mobile. Okay? I still wanted to be a preacher. I needed somebody to show grace and give me a hand and show me that it was all right to preach. And then I find people like Pastor Frank and my friend Kevin Carroll and people like that that have let me preach in church, okay? Because they don't judge me. Because there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, okay? I still find it hard to sing, but I thought, Lord, you know what? I'm going to use my voice for you. But do you know how many times I've done it in the last six years? Five, four? Because I find it hard, okay? So with all of the genuineness I can gather, I would say to you that if I sing a little song for you now, I would just hold all of your, your the praise goes straight up, okay? Because it's the Lord Jesus Christ that get, let me keep my voice, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ that sustains it. Although, I'm still human and I've got the flu, so 
Well, there's a beautiful lady in this room sitting over there, and her name is Mama Olga. Mama Olga. I love Italian people. Apart from the fact I married one that's half Italian, you know, it's a bit of a leg up, but I, um, I just love the Italian thing. When I find a lady that was, you know, born in Italy and she comes in, her accent's strong, and that night, I know I've got a rat around my finger straight away, mate. You know why? Because they just love tennis. <laughs> and she said that, I said, or of course I went up to her tonight and I said, do you like a Pavarotti? And she said, eh, but I really love Mario Lanza. <laughs> that was the guy I heard way back then on the caravan park. You know? Boy, did I have a song for her. <laughs> so she said, oh, she's been sitting over there, so I'm just going to try. So if I croak and fail and, yeah, and all that sort of stuff, you know what? Just take it up with the Lord. Um, because I'm going to just try and do a couple of uh, words, an Italian love song. And there's a reason why I'm doing this one too, because it changes after the first verse and it turns into a, into a, um, a Christian hymn. Please bear with me, because one of the other things I haven't done on this journey is I haven't learned any Christian music because I've been rebelling. But I'm now starting to get to the point where I'm about to launch myself into giving what the Lord allowed me to keep back to the Lord. <coughs> See if you remember this one. I know you do. You told me. Dwell 
Praise the Lord. Thank you very much. All the praise to the Lord. Now, before I go, I just wanted to say that my wife um, always fancied herself to be a bit of a writer. And I got sick of people recognising me in my little shop in Hillsville and saying, can you tell me why you're not doing it anymore? What happened with this? What happened with that? And I said, you know, I'm so sick and tired of talking about it. I really don't want to. So, babe, I said, babe, I says, come top my class in English. I said, can you do me a favour? You know you wanted to write a book? And she went, yes, it's religious, good. I said, can you write my last 16 years and a little bit of my past in a booklet? And she did. There's a few little typos in it, not her fault. That was actually in the printing thing. One of the stories was repeated. Uh, we're going to get that fixed up in the next printing. But um, this is her first little book published. So um, what we do is we... This is actually a tract. It's the message of the gospel after the testimony, a, a, a reduced version of what you had tonight. And it's a clear gospel message in the back. Um, I'm going to change it slightly later on, but it's quite good and it's quite um, informative. But what we do is we, we want to hand these out to get these into people's hands, especially because I want to use what the Lord allowed me to do to, um, to reach people, because in the secular world a lot of people know who I am. Okay, So um, tonight I've got... Uh, if we get any money for these at all, because we're not rich, um, although the Lord's blessed our socks off... Um, and allowed us to be able to afford more to put back on again, um, we, we need to reprint this and we need to get to the situation where we can, um, we can just help our ministry, which is apologetics and, lead and reaching people for the Lord. So these will be available through Pastor Frank. I'm leaving some with him. If you want a copy, um, there's, no, uh, there's no actual cost. If you want to make a donation, that would be fantastic because all the money goes... Is tied and then goes straight back into um, the Lord's work. So that's the way we want to do it. So they'll be with Pastor Frank. Thank you very much for hearing me out. I hope I haven't bored you with my laborious story. And have a good rest of your evening, folks. Thank you.